When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My guest this week is Ukrainian journalist and broadcaster, Maria Romanenko. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for having me. This week obviously marks one year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine began. Could I just start by asking for your thoughts on the conflict so far as we mark this important anniversary? Yeah, well, first thing is that it's it's been nine years since Russia invaded Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, 24th of February is when we were marking the the first anniversary uh, anniversary of uh, the full-scale invasion. Mm-hmm. which is when Russia started bombing all over Ukraine. Um, it is, um, I mean, I think we're, there, there's many things I think to deconstruct here. It's mm-hmm. a sad milestone because it's kind of difficult psychologically to realize um, that it's been a year. I think this is a point when a lot of people are kind of getting fatigued and a bit of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of when everybody was, with the first few months, everybody was so concentrated on helping Ukraine and doing what they can and working sort of, you know, crazy mm. hours and extra hours. Uh, I think now it's taken a bit of a toll on people and they realizing a bit more the need to for self-care and mm-hmm. look after themselves as well. Um, so I think psychologically, it's quite difficult to realize that it's been a year since all this mm. horrors um, started across the country. But at the same time, we're in a much better position now than we were um, on February 24th and, uh, you know, late February, early March, because as uh, your listeners may remember that a lot of uh, territory was kind of uh, gained in the first uh, couple of weeks, including uh, the Kiev region, uh, including um, Kherson and Sumy regions in, in the north of Ukraine, Sumy, Chernihiv. Mm-hmm. So it was... The first few days were very difficult, and I think nobody at that point really knew uh, what would happen next, even though people were still hopeful and people still knew that mm. uh, Ukraine would win, win eventually, but it was really hard to keep track of what was going on. So we're in, in a much better position now because we managed to regain most of that territory that was claimed in the first uh, few weeks. People are still very positive and are still com- you know, completely hopeful mm. and trusting the armed forces of Ukraine, knowing mm. that... Uh, they they've got our backs and you know and that ukraine will win so there's uh different feelings but uh people's resolve is not going away absolutely and again as as this anniversary does approach may i ask how your family back in ukraine are doing you know how, how are they feeling at, at this particular moment in time um they're doing all right now so mm-hmm. uh my dad lives in uh the Kiev region so mm-hmm. When it was occupied in the first few weeks, even though his exact place where he is wasn't occupied, but nearby, just some 15 kilometers away, mm. was already occupied areas and there were Russian tanks right. there. Um, so he joined his territorial defense forces um, as soon as um, he helped me and my partner who's from Manchester um, mm. get out of Ukraine. And he went back and he signed up for 
his territorial defense forces, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a self-organized groups uh, of people that patrol the areas and make sure everything's all right, look out for anything suspicious and they officially are part of uh, armed forces of Ukraine so he took up the arms and he mm-hmm. was protecting his area um, then Kiev uh, region was uh, liberated and the Russians were kicked out uh, on April the 2nd so after that I got a bit you know considerably calmer knowing that my mm-hmm. dad no longer has to do that um, so his his life obviously is affected by mm-hmm. um by all the constant power cuts, by the curfews and sirens mm. and uh, parts of Russian missiles landing in his uh, yard. And he's sending me photos, look, I've got a part mm. of a Russian missile in my yeah. yard. Um, but other other than that, you know, he's all right, uh, thankfully. And the rest of my family um, are okay as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Sadly, my grandma passed away on Christmas mm. Day. So when I was leaving, I didn't know if I would see her again. And I was hoping right. that I would see her again, but she was uh, 91 mm-hmm. at the time and then she turned 92. So, you know, it's quite mm-hmm. a late age anyway. And she passed away on Christmas Day. And that was very difficult for me to mm-hmm. um, accept because I was really yeah. close with her. And it was even more difficult to realize that I can't, I couldn't say goodbye yeah. to her. And I can't even attend the funeral because funerals in Ukraine happen so fast. Um, mm-hmm. And then my mom joined uh, us uh, in April. So she's living with us now. So she's... Mm-hmm safe living in our house mm-hmm. um and yeah so they all over you know they're mostly in kiev or kiev region uh, some of mm-hmm. them are closer to the russian border which is mm-hmm. quite worrying but then the areas where they are are still relatively safe if you compare it to Kharkiv yeah. or the donbass for example very sorry to hear that's about your your grandmother and you know at, at least your, your family are uh, as, as safe as i guess they can be in the midst of everything that's happening just looking back to a year ago and you know the, there was the, the heightened tensions from um, the Russian side, you know, NATO leaders getting very concerned about a, a potential invasion that was on the horizon. When this phase of the conflict started, did you have a feeling that possibly NATO Western leaders might roll over again, like they did in Crimea in 2014? You mentioned that you know this war started nine years ago, or do you think this phase of the the conflict, this actual full scale invasion, was really the final straw for Western leaders in actually? having a response and tackling this issue head on? Yeah, well, I think we definitely have seen a kind of like a breakthrough in um, the West's reaction uh, since February Mm. last year. Uh, They definitely doing a lot, uh, especially if you compare it to 2014 and the Crimea annexation and the invasion in the East. Nobody was really Mm. taking it that seriously. I mean, there were messages of, Mm. you know, sort of sympathy and uh, um, kind of uh, condemnation of Russia, but nothing really more than that mm. not much more than that and then if you compare it to even early you know say 2008 when georgia was invaded mm. um it, you can see progress continually mm. and uh that it, the reaction gets uh, stronger against uh, russia and it's sad that it's taken so long and obviously even on british soil um it took a very long time to mm. realize that this friendship with russia that uh, different political parties had uh was not a um good and sustainable thing you know we had you had mm. the Litvinenko murder and you had the Anna Politkovskaya murder on British soil so mm. Russia managed to um, cause uh, harm even on the British soil so mm. I think from now you know the last year that was a kind of a point of no return when the West realized like right we uh, have to be more um, coherent and we have to be more decisive uh, I think still if 
some countries, so you can even break it down in terms of different countries. So if some countries mm. such as the UK and the US were very decisive and uh, mm. very supportive, France and Germany, for example, took much longer and it was still sort of calling for discussions with Putin for a very long time when mm. uh, the UK and the US were much more pushing towards uh, sanctions and pushing mm. towards um, having Russia just completely withdraw without mm. any without any um, compromise and uh, things like that. So I think they act in much better now. I mean, it's still quite slow and faced, uh, and I kind of see why they're doing it now, why they're doing it like that quite slowly, because they are worried mm. of repercussions and a, sort of a world war. Um, but um, in the same way that if... Um, the aid was provided at once, you know, everything that mm. Ukraine was asking for was provided at once rather than waiting months for it. Uh, we wouldn't be at this point one year on. You mentioned that just the, the international response, you know, the, the UK-US much quicker in uh, reacting to the issue in comparison to other European countries. But on the whole, have you been surprised by just how much the international community has come together and unified on a broadly single message in support for Ukraine? Yes, well, sort of. And again, I mean, it's hard to talk about the West as one unity. I mean, definitely mm. people are doing a lot. And it's strange, even like countries that have been historically very neutral, such as Japan, for example, mm. you know, in the last decades, at least, um, yeah. They are providing various kinds of aid uh, mm. to Ukraine and um, other countries that have uh, been neutral doing the same. So on the whole, yes, I guess it's uh, nice to see that unity and solidarity. And it's been really nice to see different Western leaders um, mm. visit Ukraine and show mm. the the message of uh, solidarity again. I mean, we had the UK prime ministers it's probably even hard to count how many times we've had uh, different <laughs> yeah. prime ministers from the UK visit since uh, yeah. February last year. And then we just had Biden visit um, on mm-hmm. Monday, I think. Um, so it's uh, on the whole, it's good to see. But then I think, again, it like depends mm-hmm. from I don't think you see this unified support in some other countries and depends where in the West you're looking in the UK it's been absolutely phenomenal and I was uh, on the receiving end of a lot Mm. of uh, kindness and generosity but Mm. then if you go somewhere like France and Germany you'll find a lot of Russians there and Mm. you'll find some Ukrainian refugees being attacked uh, on the streets uh, because there there are many Russians and there are also some people who have this sort of like war Mm. or Ukraine fatigue uh, that they kind of just starting to think well this is hurting our economy maybe Mm. we shouldn't help Ukraine so much without realizing that if the world stops helping then the war will move on further Mm. and will spread further. Those visits by world leaders I mean you you rightly point out we had Joe Biden there this week Uh, Rishi Sunak was there I think the the week before uh, Boris Johnson when he was in office made I think three visits you've had all these major world leaders visit Ukraine just how important is it to you to see the these huge figures on the world stage come to Kiev to see the damage for themselves and actually you know make the effort to to go to the country uh yeah i think it's very important i think it's good it's a good message mm. of solidarity and um it's um i don't even know how to put that into words but it, it's i think it's important because uh i think that it's up to government you know the the way the what you see in the general public the uh how how they view this war and um how they attitude and whether they, mm. we should help Ukraine you know whether different countries should help Ukraine I think it much depends on the actions by the government and whether they mm. talk enough about how uh, horrible what Russia is doing it what Russia doing what Russia is doing is and mm. um, so I think it's it's great to see that. Um, 
and obviously the lengths that they go to to uh, visit Kiev. Um, you know, we just heard mm. about Biden spending 20 hours on the train just for mm. their four hours in Kiev that he spent, uh, he spent in Kiev. So it takes five times uh, the the time to, um, you know, the travel time is five times more than the actual time of the visit. So mm. it's also, I know that it's physically difficult. So it's even more important that they go to those lengths to to do that. This week has seen two important speeches be delivered. The, the first by President Putin on Monday and second by President Biden. And, you know, both leaders are representing very different messages, very different sides of the arguments and worldviews in their addresses. So, if I, if I may start with just looking at Vladimir Putin's speech uh, this week, which seemed to cover a number of different topics, not all of them very relevant to the, the conflict. What what did you make of the, the Russian president's speech this week? Um, yeah, I think you rightly point out that he, a lot of it wasn't really relevant to the war. Um, and I think that's an interesting sign. So uh, mm. on the same day last year, on February 21st, uh, he gave out a speech where he said Ukraine wasn't a real country and that it was created by Lenin in the 20s mm. and uh, and lots and lots of stuff about Ukraine and just completely rewriting the history, you know, completely ignoring mm. the fact that Kiev has been there since the 5th century and it um, has been there way before Moscow was even founded by a Kiev mm. prince. Um, so that was a very, you know, kind of weird speech that made made me feel really uneasy last year this Mm. year as as you said it um talked mostly about like internal issues and uh, i mean obviously they did say stuff like he did say stuff like oh we're going to fight until we win and a lot of stuff kind of indicating that they still planning to um go on with what they're doing and they you know they they preparing for a long-term war but this same time he talked a lot about like education and science and other subjects in Russia which uh you know don't really um don't really have nothing to do with Ukraine so it was interesting mm. that it's either you know some they probably are realizing that they are losing and they are trying to focus on the internal issues to mm. um divert people's attention from what they're doing in Ukraine mm. um in my opinion but obviously it still mm. had lots of very very crazy lines such as the homophobic and transphobic um, messages that they put out and their Mm. anti-Western values, anti-Western values uh, statement and, you know, how the West is bad and how the West has been trying to destroy Russia. I mean, all of that is not exactly surprising coming from his mouth uh, now that we've seen it for a Mm. long time. President Putin's words were very starkly contrasted with Joe Biden's speech from Poland this week, which was very bold in in tone. And, you know, the the US president said in in no uncertain terms, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. So, you know, as the, the war enters this new phase, how important do you think Biden's words will be in actually reaffirming this collective approach from NATO leaders and actually battling this sense of almost f- fatigue that you've, you've mentioned today? Yeah, I think um, I think very important. I mean, it's um, good to hear it from uh, the the country that holds um, so much mm. military power in the world. Uh, they on mm. our side and they are continuing to support us. Mm. Um, so um, it's a, it's a great message, and mm. it was I think it was even more important to see him come to Kiev. But um, mm. it's 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 good, and it's obviously mm. in sharp contrast yeah. to uh, the previous president that U.S. had. So uh, I think it's it's good to see that coming out of the U.S., and mm. it's good to see a president that really supports mm. Ukraine. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And just moving away from the international response for a moment, I'd, I'd like to ask you really about your experiences in the early days of the conflict and the Russian invasion. Because in the, in the immediate aftermath of the invasion, you and you mentioned you and your partner uh, left Ukraine to, to move to the UK, and particularly you're based in Manchester now. How, how are you finding life, not just in the UK, but in my very, very biased opinion, the, the UK's best city. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, um, I um, I mean, Manchester is a great city um, in, among all the different UK cities where I could have ended mm. up. You know, this is uh, definitely mm. probably the best one because it's, uh, there's, there's so much history in Manchester mm. and there's so much history that doesn't just belong to Manchester, but belongs to the whole world. Mm. So, yeah. And I know that uh, from the... The free, the free walking tours uh, of Manchester in Ukrainian that I have been doing since uh, arriving here. So when I, um, so my, my partner is from Manchester and mm. we've been together for nearly three years now. And we've, mm. he's been telling me all this time that Manchester is the great, greatest city in the world. And I just thought he was being like overly patriotic, like <laughs> a lot of people are. Um, mm. But then I, I went uh, on the tour myself a couple of years mm. ago when I was visiting Manchester um, and I just kind of fell in love with its history. Mm. I really love places in the world that have a lot of history and that you can learn a lot about. Um, and then I came up with this idea in the first few weeks when I came here uh, back in March um, after after the invasion that how can I be useful to other people? I obviously speak English fluently and I obviously speak Ukrainian fluently. And I actually did go to university in England and I did my mm. A-levels in Oxfordshire. So um, I, right. I have the knowledge of the country. I have the knowledge of mm. the language and I have support here. I have my partner here. Mm. So how can I be useful to other people? And that's when I came up with the idea of uh, mm. just emailing free Manchester walking tours and suggesting mm. that I do translation for them so that we can show mm. Manchester to Ukrainians. And they absolutely loved that idea. And we have done uh, mm. four tours uh, like that. And we have introduced Manchester to more than 400 Ukrainians. And wow. there's been so much demand for that. Uh, mm. And um, I think there's, uh, again, you know, there's so much history in Manchester and there is even there's bits of the tour that I think, you know, Ukrainians don't really care about, such as the Manchester music scene. They don't really, mm. a lot of them don't really know who all those yeah. bands are that are so <laughs> important to Manchester. But uh, there are parts uh, where it shows that how Manchester can unite and the whole uh, community mm. can unite, such as after the IRA uh, bomb and such mm. as uh, after the Ariana Grande bombing. Uh, and how people unite and help each other mm. and the whole community and how the city can also rebuild itself after after the uh, IRA bomb uh, mm. in 1996. So that I think uh, there's a lot 
that Ukrainians uh, that end up in Manchester that they can kind mm. of learn from and uh, relate to. And that's very, very mm. interesting. Um, and it's a great city. The people are very, very friendly. I've had so much generosity in the first few weeks. Mm. It was uh, just overwhelming. Like I had neighbors knocking on my door and just saying like, my four-year-old son has made this drawing for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would like say, welcome home and some Ukrainian mm. flags on it. And it was really, really sweet, like bringing me to tears. And then people mm. were giving me flowers. There was somebody, I, w- I was in a Primark shop in the first couple of weeks because we had to attend a wedding, which we didn't feel like attended at all, but it was my partner's friend. So we kind right. of had to go. Mm. I was in no mood for a wedding um, and I had to get some shoes and something like really quickly. Mm. And there was a woman behind me in the queue and she was like, oh, I saw you on TV. Uh, can mm. I can I give you this? And she like hands over like 20 pounds to me. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. I don't need money. Like I'm fine. And she was just yeah. insistent that I take it. And even when I was saying that I'll just spend it on charity. And she was like, no, no, please spend it on yourself. Just pay for this shopping, please, please. And mm. it just, you know, we've seen things like yeah. this. And it was just uh, completely, that's the kind of tears that you have when, when you're sad that your country is being bombed and that you're away from it. And when you're... Uh, when your when your uh, family dies or when your friend dies, because mm. I had my friend also be killed mm. by the by the Russians, but mm. there's also tears where you just experience like pure kindness and just people wanting to go out of the way just to help you, and that was really wonderful. And I experienced so much of that in Manchester. It is a, a fantastic place, and you know you're, you're quite right. The level of generosity that has been towards the, the Ukrainian community in particular in the city and across the, the UK as well has been incredible to see and to to read about. But you're journey to, to the UK from what I've been reading was quite a difficult one uh, you know reading that you you and many many thousands of others would in the initial aftermath of the war you know you'd walk to the Polish border in order to escape could I just ask you to describe your your journey in, in a bit more detail and just just describe the situation at the the border for listeners because you know the, we saw the the archive footage and the the news footage at the time and it it just looked like just pure chaos at the time yeah, well, you probably don't want to in too much detail because we're writing a book about it. If I went to oh, talk right. about uh, in in uh, more detail, then we'd be here all day. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I can, yeah, I can quickly mm-hmm. kind of sum up. So um, on the February 23rd, me and my partner were in Kiev and I lived in mm-hmm. uh, central Kiev. And then my dad gave me a call and he said uh, that he heard that central Kiev mm-hmm. might not be safe that night. Um so we went to his place instead, which is in the Kiev region. Mm-hmm. And uh, we stayed there overnight. And then that morning of February 24th, my partner shook me to wake me up and to tell that there's been bombs, that the bombs have been dropped. And I was like, well, where? And he's like, everywhere. And I just kind of struggled to believe uh, that this was happening. And I went on my phone, I went on Twitter and I saw the multiple reports. And then when it hit me and I was like, right, okay, so this is happening. And he was adamant that he wanted to uh, go to the west of Ukraine and cross the border into Poland with the intention to come Mm. back to the UK. Um, Mm. um, Ukraine is not his country. Um, He um, doesn't want to be caught. He Mm. didn't want to be caught up in a war in a country that's not his. his. Also, Mm. he's Jewish. So his ancestry and his family history Mm. is kind of all like run before something happens to you. You know, Mm. it's ingrained in his family history. So he felt very um, passionate about leaving. And I had about an hour to make the decision whether to come or stay and to park if I wanted to come. So I did park my bag. um, And the bag, to be honest, had like, 
things that you would bring over for you know a long weekend away rather than mm. things for fleeing the war because when I was leaving yeah. obviously there was no full-scale invasion at the time so I just brought some running stuff I bought, brought some curry spices a bottle of wine mm. um and my my yeah my running stuff my some some food some like cheese you know it was just really funny to to make that journey with all of that when in reality I probably should have back to like more useful things um yeah. But we we ended up going to Lviv, and my dad uh, drove us uh, to Lviv, um, which took us ten hours. And um, then I just kind of decided to stay with Jazz with my partner, and then he drove back uh, my dad. So I stayed with Jazz, and we stayed for a couple of hours in Lviv, and then we were woken up at three forty-five a.m. on February twenty-fifth uh, by the sound of a fighter jet going overhead. So we had to go down onto the bomb shelter and then after we realized that it was a ukrainian plane we uh got out and sat the set you know uh, but started moving towards the border and normally that journey takes an hour and 15 minutes but it took us six hours uh because 19 kilometers before the actual border it's a pedestrian border so it's like a pedestrian crossing but Mm. you still have to get there obviously you still have to drive to it so 19 kilometers before the point before the actual pedestrian crossing the traffic just stood Mm. still and what was like one lane you know two lanes one one lane one way the other one the other way uh turned Mm. into four lanes going in one direction uh, because people just started using the other lane to go in the mm. same direction and then the jet truck and then basically anything they could. So it was just like loads and loads yeah. of cars and uh, nothing was moving. And after realizing that, we tried to take um, different one cuts to got through to the actual border and we were turned down until the last one where um, they were like, well, it's probably going to be a no, but we'll have police officers checking because they, they had like border mm. patrols um, right. Um, like on every at every point like this so that people don't just mm. sneak through. Uh, so the police officer came and in the car that was me, uh, my partner Jazz, who obviously got UK passport and uh, the guy who, was, who we stayed with, uh, he had no intention of leaving. He's from Northern Ireland. Uh, he has a UK passport as well, but he wasn't mm. planning to leave because his partner is Ukrainian and she didn't want to leave. So uh, when they came and checked our documents, they saw the two UK passports and they were like, well, we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, don't tell anyone. But as a thank you for what the UK has done uh, for Ukraine, we're just going to let you through. Mm. Uh, and that was just like a miracle uh, that mm. saved us many, many, many hours because we managed to go straight to the actual border and join the pedestrian crossing. And even though we thought that that was finally the, the last port of call and that would be um, in, that was 10 a.m. at that time and that we would be uh, through by lunchtime, it ended up mm-hmm. taking us additional 23 hours and uh, just queuing on mm-hmm. foot. And the, the the main thing about all of that experience was that uh, there were tens of thousands of people and most of those 23 hours we were like crushed really badly mm-hmm. and people were dying and people were mm-hmm. carried out on stretchers, either unconscious mm-hmm. or dead. Uh, definitely heard about somebody being dead from the, you know, that was confirmed by the uh, border patrol, by, by one of the soldiers who were um, monitoring the area. Um, mm. And we saw people faint, as I said, and I nearly fainted myself uh, because it was very difficult. It's like if you imagine like a concert where you really crush that you can't even mm. put your arms down, yeah. but even worse than that. So it was uh, really, really difficult to stand there. And also you had no access to food or water or toilet facilities. Mm. But even if you had some water with you that you could t- take a sip of, you wouldn't want to because you just can't go to the toilet. Right. So we spent 23 hours uh, without food, water and toilet facilities. And that was really difficult. 
um, I happened to start period at the same time. So I was just feeling really, really um, sick. And that's why at one point I just needed to push through and get out of the first bit, which is kind of like this fence uh, mm. where they filtered people out and they only had two single person gates that they were letting people out by a rate of one person per minute. Mm. Um, so I just put through and I left my partner behind because I knew that if I don't get out now, I don't get some fresh air. I'll just want, uh, want survive this. So mm. I pushed through and I just uh, got out and I just collapsed on the ground and just breathed, uh, breathed for like 15 minutes until I was able to get up. And then I keyed for another. The next bit would be the Ukrainian side of the border and the, the bit after that would be the Polish side right. of the border. Um, so I joined the, the the queue. There was another queue there. And after three hours, uh, my partner wasn't appearing mm. out of this uh, fenced area. So I got really, really concerned because uh, I didn't even know if he'd be alive. He's quite short as well so you know there are people there were international students there there were ukrainian mothers with children but there were also lots of international students who are kind of big and you know mm. a lot of them are much taller than my partner so i was really worried for his life and i started doing anything i could so i was calling the british embassies and they were not helpful at all and at one point i just decided to lose my place in the queue and just go and get him myself by standing up on somebody's suitcase and started shouting his name and just hoping mm. that he would hear me because I didn't even know where exactly he would be in this massive, massive crowd of people. And mm. luckily he heard me and then I just started begging the soldier that he lets him out, uh, which they allowed, which, you know, he agreed to. So the, uh, that was a massive relief to be rejoined. And then mm. uh, we joined out a queue that took us uh, another eight hours at that point. And then the Polish side was uh, super quick mm. and super efficient. And we got out and we uh, were greeted by lots of volunteers offering us everything you know free rights to any city free accommodation mm. food coffee water and everything just tasted like you know this soluble coffee that they yeah. gave me just tasted like the most divine coffee after <laughs> what we went through it, it was just incredible to see that so we stayed mm. then four days in poland uh fighting the british bureaucracy so that they let me into the country yeah. um and we had lots of fun with that and <laughs> and then finally i was able to come to the UK on March the 2nd. Well, wow. it's just uh, an in incredible story. And th thank you for, for sharing that with us. Just to, to finish our conversation then, as we have reached this important milestone in the conflict and since the invasion started, where do you see the, the conflict progressing from here? Do you see it maybe dragging on for another year, potentially longer? Or actually, are we in a position now where a Ukrainian victory is in sight? Well, I really hope that it won't be longer than, than this year. I hope that it will happen this year. But in reality, nobody really knows. You know, if somebody mm. can, if somebody claims that they know when this will end, uh, I wouldn't believe them. You know, the only person yeah. who knows that when this will end is Putin himself, because uh, mm. victory uh, fully depends on him withdrawing the troops. And uh, so the, the 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 war will have to end with reclaiming the pre two thousand fourteen borders, uh, including the Donbas and Crimea. Um, mm. And I think, well, it's hard to predict, but I think anything is possible now, really. Mm -hmm. I'm fully sure that um, that Russia will lose. Um, but I think in, with regards to how this victory and how quickly it will be, I think it is possible that, uh, and I'm, I'm as every Ukrainian now, I, I have full faith in the armed forces of Ukraine and they mm -hmm. can bring a lot of surprises. You know, sometimes yeah. you... There was a time before November last year when we just didn't know when Kherson would be back and then they suddenly mm. liberated it. So mm. I think the Ukrainian army is doing all they can and uh, we all believe that uh, 
other areas can be liberated soon. Uh, and um, I really hope that it's sooner than later. And I think with the West support, if they continue supporting Ukraine, it mm-hmm. is possible this year. Maria Romanenko, thank you very much for coming on the show and speaking with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.